beginning in verse 1, and uh, we're going to look at the first 16 verses. And the title of the message this morning is, When Jesus Doesn't Move Fast Enough. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We love you and we praise you and we ask you to help us to understand that your timing is always right. And oftentimes we are impatient and we try to rush you. We try to push you into action instead of waiting to see what you do, when you do it and how you do it. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, I want to stop there for a moment and clarify something, because sometimes there's some misunderstanding here, and I've got this on your bulletin, I believe. There are two different passages where a woman wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair, and they are totally different in so many ways. This particular lady named Mary, the event that we're talking about actually takes place in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. There's another woman, though, in Luke chapter 10, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 7, who is described as a sinner. And we know that these two are not the same passage because in the one in John 12, it's the house of Lazarus, Lazarus, who he loves. But yet in Luke, it is the house of a Pharisee who is trying to trick Jesus. In fact, in that particular passage, this man, when, when this woman is wiping the feet of Jesus, this man says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who... And what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the idea of a self-righteous individual. May we never forget that apart from Christ, we are nothing but sinners. May we always remember that it's only through his grace that we can do anything. John 15 was very clear when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And let us make sure that we never get so full of ourselves that we think it's all about us when truly it's all about Christ and the grace that we have through God. In verse 3, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. Now, this is also shown to us in verse 11, I mean, in uh, chapter 5, shoot, let me start that over. I'm a little bit excited today, okay? I love being able to be out with you. I couldn't be outside the other night because of some sniffles and stuff. I'm with you tonight or today. Whatever time it is, let's go on. Okay, here we go. Uh, chapter 11, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and... 
and her sister and Lazarus. Also in verse 36, after that short verse, Jesus swept, the people said, uh, see how he loved them or loved him. They, they could see how much this family meant to Jesus. In verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, and, and now think about this. Here's the message coming to Jesus. The message is the one that you love is sick. But what does he do? But when he heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I want to give you two statements this morning, and they're pretty obvious, but I want to go ahead and give them to you anyway. Once again, number one, once again, we are reminded that sometimes bad things happen to us so that God can be glorified in us and through us. Sometimes bad things happen to us so that God can be glorified in us and through us. In John chapter 9, just a few weeks ago, we talked about how the, this man was unable to see, and the, the disciples said, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither one, but it is done so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want you to think about how old this man was when Jesus heals him. Because it says in chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, that they went to the parents and, and the parents said, Hey, ask him. He's of age. He can tell you exactly what happened. So this man was blind all of his life from a born child up to an adult before he's healed. Imagine how many times he wished he could see. Imagine how many times his parents wished that he could see. I want you to think about Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, not having any children, and how many times they wished that they had a child, and yet it didn't happen until they were very, very, very late in time. What about Joseph in the Old Testament? Having the dream of everybody bowing down to him, but yet he's put in a pit, sold to the gypsies, sold to Egypt, lied about by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, forgot about by one of the fellow uh, jail people that he was with. What about the Apostle Paul? I've heard this false teaching sometimes that when you are in the will of God, you're in the safest place in the world. That is the biggest line of garbage I've ever heard in my life. If anybody was in the will of God, it was Paul. And Paul was constantly being imprisoned, being beaten, being stoned, being uh, mistreated in every possible way. And yet, he says, as it says on the back of your bulletin, in fact, look at that for just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
When we are going through things, we think, wow, this is taking forever to get past. What a joy it is to have Leo back with us this morning. And if you were to ask him, how many times have you wished this never happened? Or how many times have you wished that you were already healed? And how many times has Stephanie said amen to both of those questions? Right? You with me? We are in a hurry. God, give me the answers. Give me what I need right now so I can get past this. And he says, no, no, no. Wait just a moment. How many times did Paul pray about the thorn in his side? Three times. And yet God's answer was always the same. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, so because of that, I will boast in my weakness, because in my weakness, his strength is made known. Why? It's only by his grace. That's how we share the gospel. That's how we make a difference in this world. That's how we are known by his people, by the grace that he shares within us. If you were new to reading the Bible, you might say that Jesus lied in verse 4 when he says that this illness does not lead to death. You're like, wait, time out. Lazarus actually dies, and so if he dies, then Jesus lied about it. Well, this is really interesting to me because I've told you before, I read three translations. I read the English Standard Version, I read the King James Version, and I read the New American Standard and of those three translations, the New American Standard has it better as far as I'm concerned. Because the, the ESV says, does not lead to death. The, the King James Version says, it's not unto death. But the New American Standard says, this sickness is not a end. It's not to end in death. In other words, yeah, he's going to die, but it's not going to end that way. Listen, that's the problem with you and me. We don't wait for the story to unfold. We react too quickly. That's why Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. Too many times we respond based upon what we're seeing right now. We say, well, I, I can't get through this because right now it looks so bad. But you know what? In a few minutes, it changes. I'm hurting so bad emotionally. I'm hurting so bad physically or whatever the case is. And we're not realizing that that breakthrough is almost there. Listen, the devil does not want you to praise God. The devil doesn't want you to be happy in Jesus. He's going to do everything he can to distract you. And he always fights the hardest before the breakthrough. I mean, when Jesus is about to die... The devil thinks he's got him right where he wants him, and yet what happens? God raises him from the dead, and once again proving the devil has no authority whatsoever. So be strong in your faith. Be strong in the Lord. And know that no matter what happens, God is still on the throne, and it only happens if he wants it to happen. In fact, in this passage of Scripture... If you look down at verse 7, after Jesus tells his disciples, let's go back to Judea. His disciples said in verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? Jesus, why would you possibly want to go back to the very place they wanted to kill you? Because he knew they couldn't do it. Because God is sovereign. His will always comes to pass no matter what goes on. 
Jesus knew he would not be stoned to death. He knew that they couldn't do anything to him until God was ready, and he knew when that was. That's why he said, the moment has come. And they had the Lord's Supper. And after the supper, they went out, and he prayed in the garden. And that was the night that he got arrested. He knew that. So here he's not afraid of all. He's not afraid of going back. After that happens. By the way, let me stick this in here. Look at verse 16. If I mention the, the name Thomas to you, most people automatically think about the doubting Thomas when Jesus raised from the dead. But look at his words of faith here. Look at his words of commitment. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. If they're going to kill him, let's stay true to him and let's stay with him and we'll go with him. And even if it means we die with him. And yet, we always talk about doubting Thomas instead of what we see there. I want you to look now at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now, stop there for a moment. If you're a disciple, you have to be totally confused now. Lord, you just said that it wouldn't end in death, but now you're saying that he is dead. What's, what's going on? And by the way, let me say this again, thinking about the sovereignty of God, Jesus could have spoken the words when he heard the message and healed Lazarus from a distance, but he didn't. He could have rushed off to save him, but he didn't. In fact, the scripture tells us that he did what? He remained in the same place for two more days. It says in verse six. You never, ever will surprise Jesus Christ. And I'm glad. One of the posts that I saw this past year that meant a great deal to me said, don't beat yourself up. Jesus already knew how many times you would be stupid. He already knew how many times you were going to mess up. He already knew. He's already got it taken care of. Keep your eyes upon him. He'll take care of you. Look at verse 15. For your sake. This, this is interesting. Think about this. Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha are grieving. And Jesus says, for your sake, talking to the disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there. You're like, wait, time out. So you're glad that he died? Why, why are you glad that you weren't there? Well, he says the answer to that. So that you may 
believe. Now, think about these guys. Just in the book of John, don't even count Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Just in the book of John, in chapter 2, these guys saw the, the miracle he did at the wedding. They saw the various healings that he did. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They saw him walking on the water. Uh, they saw him standing up to the Pharisees over and over again. And they still didn't have an understanding who this Jesus was. And he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you would believe. So that you would believe. I wonder if we really believe in him this morning. Now, again, I, I applaud you for your faithfulness as you come together each Sunday morning. In fact, it's even funny to me. You know, like in churches, sometimes people have their, their, their pews they always sit in. Well, on Sunday mornings, I noticed last week that uh, Donna wasn't the first one here. It was actually you were the first one here, but you saved space for her because that was her space over there by the building. And I was cracking up. It's like, wow, we even have assigned seats in the parking lot. How about that for a Baptist church, right? Listen, God knows us, and he takes care of us. And my question to you is this. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? And again, if you're willing to come out on a Sunday morning and sit in your car with a heater going, that's a good indication but let me tell you something. There will be plenty of times that your faith will be tested. And you got to pass the test. you got to stand firm. And say, no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what I feel, Jesus is still the Christ, the Son of the living God. I am amazed how many people on social media will constantly badmouth this and badmouth this and cuss this and fuss about this and then say, I want you to pray for me about such and such. What did James say? James says, can, can clear water and bitter water come from the same source? In fact, let me go ahead and give you number two in your sheet. The light of Christ is either in you or it is not, period. You can't have a little bit. The light of Christ is either in you or it's not. That's the end of it. You are either immersed into Christ. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 talks about being buried with him and his death and risen for him in his resurrection. Uh, it's, it visualizes the water baptism that we do, but it also teaches that you are actually submerged into Christ. You can't be in him and in the world at the same time. That's why John says in 1 John, do not love the world and the things of this world, because if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. You're in chapter 11. Go back to chapter 9 for just a moment and look at verses 4 and 5 that we had. 
John 9, verses 4 and 5, We must work the works of him who sent me while of this day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then you turn back to where we are today for John 11, verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Again, it's either in you or it's not in you. 